G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. I am your host, Jacob Andre, and today I am talking to Tim Ellison. So if you'd like to know what child development looks like for the 99% who don't make it into elite sport, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jacob Andre, and for over a decade, I've trained everyone from children to elite athletes to move better, feel better, and perform better. While a thorough understanding of fitness and nutrition is vital, underpinning that is mindset. And I've come to discover just how important it is. I've worked with literally thousands of people. And more often than not, it's the ones who win the mind game who succeed in the big game. So how do they do it? This is the Mind Your Body Podcast. G'day and welcome to the episode Prelude, where I'll be introducing you to Tim and the episode. Before we do get into it, if you are watching this on YouTube, please comment down below as we go through the video and let me know if you have any takeaways and ask any questions as we go through it. And of course, if you are watching on the website, same thing down in the comments below. I really enjoy hearing what your big takeaways are and answering your questions as we go through the episode. As you may know, I absolutely am loving Instagram right now. So if you are not already following me at the Mind Your Body Show with underscores in between each word, please head on over and do so. And whatever platform you are watching on, take a screenshot on your device and share it to your Instagram stories and tag me in it with your biggest takeaways. And last of all, what I highly, highly encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to make sure you head on over to iTunes and give us a review and rating because that helps us to be able to get in front of more people and share our message uh, throughout the world. Okay, this episode with Tim, now it was very, very long. I'm going to start it with that. You've probably already seen how long this episode goes for. And by the time I do this prelude, it's probably going to be well over an hour and a half, which is what the single interview took with Tim. I knew that was probably going to be the case. Tim can talk, I can talk. And when both of us get together, I was actually shocked that it wasn't like a four hour long episode. It was really good to talk to Tim. I've known Tim for a very long time. I've seen him when I was a young guy running around the track. He was running around the track um, doing his triathlon stuff. He used to do a lot of long distance running, cycling um, and so on. I think he did some athletics, but his main sport was definitely athletics. And I remember seeing him doing a lot of running and he was a very competitive guy. And that kind of comes up in the episode. I met him in about 2014 when he reminds me I applied for a job at the Institute of Sport. It was a management job. He ultimately got it. And I kind of felt like he was trying to poke the bear a bit. Anyone that works in sport is usually quite highly competitive. And he goes on to say how he got the job and I didn't. He got the job that I applied for. I actually don't remember applying for that job. But uh, in my defense, he had been doing stuff for years before that. He was always, he was definitely the best man for the job at the time. And, um, and I'm glad that he got the job. Uh, so there, there's no... Um, there's no hard feelings there, but having come back and worked with him later, I he was the one that actually really got me going with the NGIS stuff. I was uh, asked by a guy called Michael Watkins, who was a manager there, uh, in, above Tim, I might add, and um, he actually asked me if I was interested in coming on to manage and facilitate a research project, which I did as a consultant for a year. And then from there, Tim absolutely loved what I was doing and said, you need to get this guy on. And they ended up sort of highly recommending that I apply for one of the jobs as they're part of their new restructure um, when they brought in the five newbies, um, as Tim puts it in the episode. And then Tim kind of like goes out and then we sort of take over with the program there's so much stuff in this. Tim is seriously the best 
physical development and then from there a whole bunch of different other stuff too like resilience and confidence and that type of stuff as well the social and emotional type stuff but it all comes from the physical development timmy is probably the best physical development coach i've ever come across for kids his programs are just so high energy and so engaging i'm sure that when he goes home at night he absolutely crashes and i've actually got a photo of him where we were working together at a local primary school doing a um a primary school physical development or physical literacy uh, program and he fell asleep in the staff room on one of our breaks at lunchtime and i got a photo so i'll have to share that on instagram once this episode goes live so head on over there and check that out all right that was just as i said this episode goes for an hour and a half there is so much to get through and as i was writing notes after the fact as i was listening back on this episode i ended up with about four pages and I had to just cut it back because it was way too much for me to go through and say this, 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 and this. So in this episode, you're going to learn uh, about how Tim's nine kids, yes, you heard that correctly, nine kids made him who he is and why he wants more. He actually wants more. So does his wife, crazy enough. Um, so he's got five boys and four girls, I believe he says in the episode, but nine kids and he still wants more crazy what sport and development looks like for the 99% as per the heading. So we talk about the 1% who do go on to make it and how so much of sport is created for them and not just sport, but even so much of our education system in terms of the way physical education is conducted into then school sport. And we try and find the cream of the crop and that kind of thing. It's about, trying to lift up the other 99%. And what's clear in my head is this picture of a rising tides lifts all ships approach. And that's really what it seems like to me Tim is doing. But through the vehicle of physical activity, Tim is creating holistic child development. And as I've already alluded to, part of that is the social and emotional aspects. Um, Tim goes on to state where the experts should sit in sport. So, so many experts sit in the elite field uh, and that's just kind of where those sorts of people in those positions naturally gravitate to. But where he says they should sit, the real purpose of sport, this is really interesting. He kind of talks about and he challenges me on what the purpose of sport is. And we go into that. And it was quite philosophical in the sort of responses that we came up with of what the real purpose of sport is all about. Uh, the astronaut simulator program for coaching excellence, Tim loves planes, I think, and anything to do with rockets. And so he loves these analogies and he absolutely loves mathematics and he talks about numbers all the time. Um, and so that definitely comes into it. But the astronaut simulator program is what he's creating in terms of developing sporting excellence. It's, it's fascinating how this guy's brain works. How to structure a session with 60 to 70 kids so that you can see each one of them one-on-one. -on -one. He has done so much of this and he's given it so much thought and reflection that I really like his structure within his sessions. The importance of identifying each skill in its best form. And he goes back to how he came across this in gymnastics and how you pick out a child who's performing it well and getting them to demonstrate and how the difference in what children see of that child compared to an adult performing in their eyes. It's quite fascinating. And so the importance of finding what it looks like, uh, what a skill looks like in its best form in a body position and a movement that is 
relevant and related to kids, I want to say, in, in how kids can relate to that. And it's amazing how they, they pick up just such little nuances that you don't notice in an adult's technique versus a child's technique and how they relate so much better to a child performing the skill at its, in its best form. Why the skill of running is so important, how to gamify sporting skills. This is really fascinating. And I've played around with the idea of this for a long time, and I've never seen this done well. So many people have attempted, and I really think that Tim has cracked the code on this on how to gamify sport. And he goes on to say, and I'll allude to it right here and now at the beginning, he goes on to say, it's all about the colored bibs. That's all I'll say. I'll leave it for you to listen to the whole story as we go through the episode. Absolutely fascinating. How to structure the ideal session with Big Rocks and Little Rocks. And if you're not familiar with Big Rocks and Little Rocks, it's about how you can fit um, big rocks, medium-sized rocks, little rocks, and then even sand, and then ultimately even water into a jar. And if you start off with the small stuff first, you can't fit the big rocks in. So the big rocks going first. So how he structures his programs and his sessions in order to fit the big rocks in first and how what he initially thought were the big rocks ended up becoming the little rocks and the little rocks became the big rocks. Very, very insightful. I really, really like that. So the big takeaways for me, I've asked you to share your biggest takeaways on your Instagram stories. So here's what mine were and take notice of these as they come up. These will be cut as to short um, Instagram videos as either reels or as posts or potentially even, what's the other one? I forget what the other Instagram is, five of them now. Um, can't remember what they all are. Um, but these will be cut into short little clips that we'll post on Instagram as well as YouTube. But I'm sharing these with you now because I want you to pay attention and look out for these moments that we talk about this stuff. So it's how game, how to gamify sporting skills. That for me was so interesting. And I've seen it and I, I know that this was how Tim um, runs his sessions, but I didn't realize what he was actually doing and why he was doing it. And it all makes sense now. Um, the focus on the skill of running and how that is just so important. And so many people focus on metabolic conditioning. They get out, you see them get out on the track and they just run lap, lap, lap. And, you know, the long distance runners just running, 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 plodding along. And then the middle distance runners just doing all these like 300s, 400s, 500s, 600s, and the sprinters just doing sprint, 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 and the techniques all over the shop. And ultimately, your ceiling is going to be your technique. That's what's going to, to stop you from going any further. So once you developed up the energy systems that come through that metabolic conditioning, improving your cardiovascular system, your lactate system, and all the rest of it, eventually, there's going to be a ceiling there. But you can actually increase that ceiling through working on the skill of running. So actually getting better at running and working on your technique. And once you become technically sound, not only do you increase your potential for anything athletic, you also dramatically reduce your risk of injury. But through practicing the skill, it means that anyone from an elite 100 meter sprinter at the Olympics through to a 50 year old man or woman who has an office job Monday to Friday can become technically correct with running and learn to love running and become good at it at their best potential. My third was the astronaut simulator program for coaching excellence. Um, I, I really, really like that. Like it's just, it's about putting kids into a safe space to create an environment where they um, 
uh, essentially in a simulator. And then from there, they can go out into the real big world as adults, fully equipped and skilled to take on the challenges that they're going to face. And then my last one was what sport looks like for the 99%. Just absolutely fascinating. As I said, I've never come across anyone who does child development, particularly around physical literacy, and then how that then spreads out to holistic development, as well as what Tim does and what sport looks like for those 99% who don't make it. Essentially, it comes down to what is the purpose for sport? And then with that in mind, and with that sort of kept in the back of the mind as a foundational concept, we can then create a really, really wonderful, engaging program for all children in order to be the best person they can be throughout life. So long episode, this prelude was long. I, I can't, I kind of feel like I have to pay some homage to, to, to Tim in doing a long prelude here, but without any further ado, let's get into it. G'day and welcome to this show. I'm sitting here with Tim Ellison. I'm really excited to be talking to Tim because I've worked with Tim quite a lot over the last few years. I'm going to get into how we met and how we first started working together, Tim. But before I do, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. So, Tim, before we really get into it, I want to know from a personal point of view, how do you mind your body? How do I what? Sorry, what was that? How do you mind your body? How do you look after yourself? I have to... (laughs) I'm no different than anyone else, I think. Um, If I don't have something in front of me, I don't have a reason to do some activity. Um, um, I go back a step and I, um, my life's always been filled with something as in active. And um, ever ever since I can remember, I I went to a boarding school. So I started that at about the age of 12. And I can all just always remember getting up early and doing something. So as in, whether it's running around the, the, the footy ovals at school, I, was, I, I went to a sort of a rugby school, um, just kicking a footy or, or going for a run or trying to play in the gym or something like that. But I actually, nearly every day of my life, I actually saw the sunrise. And, um, and that makes me feel good um, and that, but sort of, as you get later in life, what I've found is that there's heaps and heaps of distractions. So probably, you know, tell people of our age, not, nothing any different. Um, so I find that I actually have to put something in there that requires you to be active, to be prepared for that activity. Does that make sense? So for a lot of years, I've actually been doing triathlon and um, that requires a little bit of preparation um and that some prep for, for some people it's it's a little bit more than others um and that at the moment i actually like climbing rock climbing and sort of the fitter you are the lighter you are the easier it is to go upwards so, <laughs> so, so that's made me actually think about what i eat um the sort of ancillary training that actually goes to sort of staying in in shape so there you go how's that that's awesome so oh, that's a great answer. So are you doing in, indoor sort of artificial rock climbing? I'll put it like that. No, or... no, I like, I like outdoors. Um, there's not too many, but the Northern Territory is not known for its rock climbing um, <laughs> um, features and that. So, but there's some really cool stuff for beginners like myself and, and I just love it. Um, I head out of town at about five in the morning and um, I, I see the sunrise and, sort of at the, at the 
place where I climb and it's set up and away we go. So it's, I spend a day out there. Um, yeah, great. That's awesome. So just real quick, little side thing, sunrise over sunset, which one? Oh, I like sunrise. Yeah. Like, mate, it, to me, I don't know, as you get older and that, you go, well, I made another day. <laughs> <laughs> and rather than sort of the close, I, I like the idea of it's the beginning of a new day. So it's a new day, new day in your life, and, um, and things can go forward. So I'm sort of a person that looks forward rather than have a look what's happened behind me. So, um, there's all sorts of things happen behind you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, but we can all go forward. So, yeah, I like, I like looking forward. That's awesome. So how did you – let's just go through maybe a little quick three-minute intro as to how you came to be – where you are right now in your life? Um, if, in a nutshell, it's having kids. So um, at the moment, it stands at I've got nine. So, <laughs> so <laughs> um, back, back my wife, um, she wants to have more. So like I said, at the moment, it's nine. Um, and that is with um, some fantastic kids. Um, and that. so basically I was no different than any other parent that gets involved with their kids and they play sport and you stand on the sideline and go, you know, there's no way I'm putting my hand up to coach because I'm going to get stuck with that. Um, so I did what most other parents that are in, sort of into their kids' development, put up my hand and coached and guess what? I got stuck with it. Um, and I sort of, I looked at what a lot of people were doing and I thought that doesn't make sense. Uh, and I and I looked and sort of within the first year and a bit that I was doing this sort of stuff, I, for some unknown reason, I just thought, well, maybe the Institute of Sport, they know about kids' development. So I actually walked in and actually walked into Wacko's office, Michael Watkins' office. I said, Michael, can you tell me about kids? Like, you know, you're working with kids um, and this is sort of going to lead to where we're going with the um, – the 99% thing, he said, I said, you're dealing with kids at the upper end of sport. What, what, what does it look like for younger kids and the kids that aren't going to get to that level? And he gave me a few resources. And I looked at it and I, and I took my time. I read through the stuff and I, I, wrote, I went, went back to him and I said, um, so how many people are doing this? And he goes, no one. <laughs> so, and that was the, the stuff that the material gave me was um, the resources from Kelvin Giles, Movement Dynamics on, on developing physical qualities in, um, in young athletes and all the stages. And, and because I'm a sort of a, um, a mathematical type person and, and I like things in lines and, and that sort of stuff, you know that, <laughs> <laughs> being on time and that sort of stuff. Oh, um, no. it, <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, you, well, you know how it's set out, you know, the movement dynamic stuff in, in the stages and that, and it, it just, it resonated with me. And I started doing it and guess what happened to the kids? Like they started developing, not only developing as sports people, but developing as, as good quality kids, you know what I mean? And, and I sort of opened up the program that I was doing and, and I said to my own kids, like if, if you're going to go forward with this sort of stuff, 
then I need all of your friends and that involved. And sort of that's that's how the whole thing evolved. And and the more time that I spent um, at the coalface working with the kids, the, the more you actually get to learn. So there was no sort of prior training. When I say prior training, like I avoided doing a coaching course for about three years because <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to get stuck with the job of coaching kids. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so, I'm yeah, sure it's so not a bad I'm, thing now, though, is it? What was that? I'm sure it's not a bad thing, though. Oh, no, no, it's fantastic. Like I, I sit in a really sort of privileged position um, in that I have a vocation around um, sport and the development of children so and youth. Um, and and that and sort of look after a really really dynamic program. It's it's, it's sort of it's one of those things you, you know because you're a sports person as well. You know you you, you get in into sport and you chase something and you know, man, I'm way better than I thought I'd ever get at this. And and I'm not an Olympian or you know what I mean. So um, there's probably times where you you're at national champs or whatever for. Um, for your beach print stuff and you go, man, I'm in the final here. Like, I never thought I'd get to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's sort of how I sort of view the program that we've got. I thought never thought that we'd actually have a program that looks like it does. Um, and that, so um, do I allude to what I do specifically? Yeah. Well, let's go like right back to you coming into the NTIS, the Northern Territory Institute of Sports. So, you walked into Waco's office. We've already mentioned Michael Watkins, who's a senior athlete manager at the NTIS. Yeah, yeah, services and, manager. Yeah, service athlete manager. service manager. And uh, and had a chat to him and said, "What that, is all this?" That, yeah, at that particular time, he was the um, he, he was the sports scientist that was in charge of the strength and conditioning. Yeah. So he was a strength and conditioning um, services manager. And so I think from that, you obviously sort of opened his mind up a little bit, I would imagine, um, in what you were sort of the questions you were asking. And he has suggested you probably apply for a job. <laughs> no, well, it was about six years later after that. Okay. So, so that was in 2008 when I first walked in. And, and the job that actually, or the contract that I took at the NTIS was not until 2014. So what put me in a position to do that, um, because uh, listeners here, because Jacob and I went for the same job, <laughs> didn't we? Did I apply for that? Yeah, I probably I did, did, actually. Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, applied, um, I've applied for so many jobs. And you know what? I, I was only just saying this recently. I have never got a job I've applied for. Every job that I've got has been offered to me. So I'm never applying for a job ever again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but what happened in... I took the resources that he gave me and, and actually applied it. And, and out of that, the, the program started growing as in the numbers of kids that were into it. Um, um, I was taking coaches, other um, sort of volunteer coaches on a bit of a journey with me as well. And, um, and, and some of the kids were making it to national level. Um, the majority weren't but it was still a really fun and dynamic program. Um, in about 2012, so it was about four years later, I started actually running 
um, morning sessions at the um, at the NTIS at the at the athletics track and that, and inviting other sports in. Um, so when um, when the coach development position, when they decided that they were actually the NTIS was going to focus on um, on coach development, they went. I think that's sort of the type of model that we're looking at. Um, I already had it running. They didn't know what it looked like, and um, and that, and I didn't either in a in the context of an institute type of program. But there were some things um, from an organisational point of view, from a political point of view, that I needed to um, that had to be in place, and that. So, um, so I threw my hat in the ring um, when they were after a, an athlete, um, athlete and coach development manager and that so um yeah so i think there was you and paul <laughs> um yeah. yeah and um and a few others anyway we ended up i ended up with a contract there for three years doing their their coach development program for them yeah so and then at the end of that um it was my my contract was to actually design and implement um and then the next stage was to basically enhance that. Um, and then that's when the crew of um, five, the five originals um, started and, um, and took it forward. Yeah, and of course, from my point, from my personal point of view with that, we then met because I, Michael actually called me, an example of how like I've never got anything that I've applied for and said, are you interested in, man what are you doing with yourself? Are you interested in managing, facilitating this move more, learn more? research project which I took on and then we started to work together with that from that yeah. it was then with the five that you're talking about um, there was a restructure and it was suggested to me that I apply and I kind of felt like I had a pretty good um, op yeah, chance and so um, and I did and so I did apply for that job but only because I felt like I was almost a shoo-in <laughs> that doesn't sound too <laughs> arrogant but um, yeah and so then working in that so then with that that time when I then sort of moved into that role uh, as a coach and athlete development officer, you then moved out because your contract had finished up, which I think was about June 30, 2017. Yep. And um, you then moved into coach, um, what was it, like a, a coach yeah. development type role? No, no, no. I, I was a pathway manager. Pathway um, manager. Yeah, with, with rugby. But... Um, but I actually have a for, for the listeners there. I actually have a business that um, consults and and um, and I provide services um, around pathway management, around youth development, child development. Um, so I was engaged by rugby to do theirs, and at the same time, I actually also um, was engaged by triathlon to do um, their pathway management. So obviously, I was employing a couple of people and didn't quite. Um, have the ability to have 36 hours in the day like <laughs> we'd all like um it's only 24 and you got to sleep for a bit so um yeah so but the the rugby gig um fantastic working with rugby um is it, it was a change of direction um different types of people um different demographic and and that um but basically it was a big load and I, and i basically for personal reasons basically only lasted there for a year um, and then sort of notified them that I'd have to actually forgo that, 
contract and um, and just concentrate on the triathlon one. And so your business is called IPS International Performance Systems. So yeah, then- yeah. So International Performance Systems. It's basically having um, working with organisations to have all of the components for a systematic approach to um, how they how they develop their children, their youth, um, the, the support infrastructure around that. So coaches um, and all the support staff. That's basically what is it? What does that look like from a systematic um, approach to the delivery of of your sport and that? So and and this is where it's interesting. And like I said, if we get to um, the the topic and what we were talking about. Uh, where we could go with it. Um, You've got some fantastic people that you're going to um, uh, interview and talk with over the next couple of weeks. And the majority of those people sit and actually service the the 1% of the sports population that um, it's actually even less than 1% of the sports population that are or do have some attributes that enable them to go forward. Um, There's another 99.2% nine percent of the kids that won't get into that bottom end of the funnel and what does the sports system have for those people um and that and generally speaking um the guidance for the practitioners that are working with those people the the 99 percent that won't make it um and that they're they're all the mums and dads and 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 the literature says that basically we should have that's where we should have the experts coaches the people with the knowledge and that out, out there at that level. But generally speaking, no, one's, no one wants to work out there. So, so ultimately what you're saying is this, the sports system at the moment sits like this with the elite at the top, the 1% and 99% yep. down here. But ultimately what you're saying is that we should sort of flip that to be more, I can't do it, yeah. <laughs> um, so that it's 99% up here and 1% down here type thing. Well, if we... Yes, if we look at it from what, why do we do sport in the first place? Is Do we only engage in sport um, because we're trying to get Olympians or professional sports people? Because we look at them and go, wow, that's the type of role model that, you know, that takes us forward in life. And I look at some of them and I go, well, probably not. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? So we go, okay, so this is how I, I view it and go, is sport a vehicle to take us forward to, so we can learn? It's a, it's a simulator, you know, so pilots before they, um, airline pilots, um, um, what do you call it, defence force pilots, air force pilots and that, they spent massive amounts of hours in a simulator before they get control of a plane to fly it by themselves. And generally speaking, we don't have that chance in life. You're piloting once, once you're 18, you know, there you are, you're, you're in charge of your destination. And, and how I do it, well, how I visualise what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be the simulator. And basically I'm putting you through some simulated experiences and I'm going to use sport as the vehicle so you can learn about yourself, learn about your interactions with others um, and be physically active. So it's a recipe for a healthy life. So now, is that the same recipe for an elite level athlete as 
a non-elite or you know, someone aspiring to, let's call it sporting excellence. You know what I mean? So um, then it is, it's the same recipe. Sporting excellence is basically, it's, it's not a training program, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle associated with excellence in your nutrition, excellence in your sleeping patterns, excellence in the way you organize yourself and that. So apart from the sports skills, everything's the same. So I call it the, my astronaut simulator program. <laughs> hardly, hardly anyone's ever going to go into space. You know what I mean? As an astronaut, but that doesn't mean you couldn't give the majority of the people, if you have the resources available, and this is where we do, um, to provide opportunity for people to, um, to learn and using sport as a vehicle to do that. And so how do you do that? Talk about your program, which you've developed over years of being on the ground, working in the trenches. What does that program look like that enables, I kind of call it a high-performance development. Uh, and so because what you're taking is what you would do in high-performance, but delivering it to eight-year-old kids or people that just want, like I see use on the track, and I see the mum and dad learning how to run. And I, I talk with, uh, like I'm training an elite uh, athlete at the moment and I'm talking about the same stuff that you're talking about with this 45-year-old mother. And I look at her running technique on the track and I'm like, I'm actually pointing her out and going, that's what we're trying to get to. This is like a 40-year-old <laughs> mother that just works in an office. And I'm like, we want, to, we want our running technique, you know, we want to develop our running technique to look like that. Or this is the, the, the physical properties you're developing as well as the other properties of just a high-performance mindset and nutrition, all that stuff, is the same thing. So what does your program look like? How do you achieve that? Uh, by working out, I, I've sort of worked out at different levels what's actually appropriate for the kids. And, and what, I've found, what I've found out is basically... Um, Everyone's going it, to, it's an individual thing. Yeah, I can have 60 to, to 70 kids there sometimes um, and that, but basically how do you make, how do you make it individual for each, each one of those people? And, that, and that's basically, um, and then this goes with sort of working with practitioners in this space as well, structure the program so you actually get to see that person one-on-one -on -one. Do you know what I mean? It's um, have a number of lines, but you sort of stagger them and have them run partly. Yep, that's cool. Now do this, do that, do that. But basically, if we go back and actually go, what are we actually trying to do here? It's, it is having an, under, an understanding of what, um, and I got this from gymnastics, what the skill looks like in its best form or um, in its, uh, when it's performed to its optimum level. And, and running's a, um, you know, because we're, we're talking about using this as an example, um, we're both on the track and you've got um, the girls on, on, the, on the grass doing the different drills and that. It's, it's easy for you to communicate to your athletes what I'm doing because we actually subscribe to the same um, theoretical model um, and that. And, and what I've what I've learned about running is that we actually 
if we've got a good theoretical model that we actually can coach against and we understand why, then that makes it easy. I've sort of gone a little bit off track, but basically, um, so you and I are talking the same language and, and you can actually use different people and it doesn't necessarily um, matter where they sit in the sporting excellence side of things. If someone is executing the skill, you go, mm. that's what it looks like. That You know what I mean? So some people can run. You just They've just got the right um, leg length, the light um, the, the right twitchiness of the fibres, they can turn the legs over and they can move across the ground. Some people can just do that, okay? And, and you know, I know, um, and the other people that work in running, you get to a certain level where your default running pattern doesn't work. <laughs> and it's not that you have to move. So if you're going to move like the people in the 100-metre finals at the Olympics, then they're all... Um, they're all trying to actually work to the same or very similar technical model, okay, and, and that. So at some stage you have to do technical development um, and actually what that looks like, um, some people, even though they don't have the speed, can actually pick up the skill. So it's, that's where we're going with it is trying to actually give them the skill. I'm, I'm, I just worry about the skill and this is the benefit of the program that I have is because there's no competition associated with it. The, no one's drawn to having to do repeat 200s or repeat 400s. Of, you know what I mean? To, to develop the metabolic side of things, to be able to endure what we're going to compete in. It's, it, it's just a skill skills program and and that so if we go to skills programs then the recipe for that is no different than gaming you know the the addiction for gaming um if you can understand the principles behind gaming and apply that to anything and i try to apply it to um, running skills swimming skills bike riding stuff then um then you can make it fun you make it it's, it becomes engaging um and away we go so how do you how do you do that how do you gamify running skills throwing and catching skills i'm going to talk about the throwing and catching stuff with the, the dot on the ball and uh, and talk to you about because that's that's really cool um and so how do you gamify all those skills well you tell me you what's what are the what makes gaming addictive well, you get that dopamine burst. And so dopamine is more of yeah. a, like a binding chemical because, and it makes you want more of it. It's not so much a feel-good right. chemical. It's often released at the same time as serotonin, which is a feel-good chemical, or cortisol, which is a stress chemical. And so it makes you want more of that. Um, so what but makes why, that? Why, why do you, why getting, do you get that a, response? That's, so so that's, that, what was that? You're getting that burst of motivation. So you are getting that chemical release of serotonin and stuff. Um, okay, but, but Why? Why does that happen? Uh, because you have a win and you feel good. Ultimately, it comes down to feeling good. Yeah. That's it. You have a win. So generally speaking, um, a confidence is your feeling of, of skillfulness, the feeling of competence. Um, if you can show someone that they have a win as far as their competency in something, then you do exactly what you've just described. 
So that's all you have to do is show them where they're at and where their next level is. And basically, and it becomes a game of increasing your skill level because that's, that's exactly how gaming works. You go, oh, I'm there. There's the next level. If I practice at that, I can actually get to the next one there. And, oh, man, I'm only two points. I'll have another go. You know what I mean? Um, oh, get whatever you do, get respawned or whatever, and you're back in again, <laughs> and, and you have another go. And, and that. So it's, it's providing that, that, vision, um, that vision of where you're at, is that getting a little bit better? Um, have games around that, you know what I mean? But you you play with that concept. That's what that's all it is. And because if you can show someone that and where they are, so tell me when you look at the the track, uh, you probably haven't seen because I don't do it with the older kids. Um, what is what does my younger kids session look like when when you bring the kids indoors? Uh, spiders and flies. <laughs> yeah, spiders lots, and flies, but what can you see? Yeah, lots of games. Uh, coloured singlets. Yep. Yeah. Bright, colourful, lots of movement. Yeah, um, co- but the coloured singlets are, are where it's at. Yeah. Because the coloured singlets so that's stages, yes. Yeah, that's your stages. And and the and the kids will go, so what do I need to do to actually go to the next stage? I would, uh, I'd like to see you be able to, um, this, you know, with your catching skills and, and this with your running and this, you know what I mean? So... Um, so they play different, we, we do different drills associated with catching, throwing and that. And, um, and then that moves into cognitive work with a ball and, and decision-making, you know, it's very simple with my little yellow singlets. It's, it can be hot potato passing around a circle and then two balls and then three balls um, to pig in the middle and then the next stage is um, five on five on one, five on two, and then the third stage is the three on three, four on four, um, Fiji, what I call Fiji touch, and and that. So you t- you take them through stages, and there's there's different coloured singlets, um, and that associated with the different skill levels. So it's all part of that. Um, it's the gaming side of it, the competency development. That's awesome. So talk to me about how you structure your sessions big and, and big rocks and little rocks. Uh, it's, it's interesting because it's changed and it, and, it, and I, I would hope that it still keeps to change, um, still changed in the future because that's actually how we get better. So my, my original um, concept, so that if we go back and explain what the big rocks and little rocks are, um, I, I saw a picture and it was introduced to me at the National Strength and Conditioning um, Conference. Um, one, of the, one of the presenters was talking about um, big rocks and little rocks and the big rocks are the, 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 the main parts of the program that go in. And you actually, when you're building a program, when you're building a session, you put those in first and then, um, and then the next rocks, um, next, the medium-sized rocks and then the small rocks and then the, fill the sand and it goes around it. Um, if you do it that way, you can actually fit it all into, into your container um, or where the session. So if you um, Google big rocks and, and little rocks, you'll see, um, see pictures of big rocks and little rocks and different ways to try and jam it into a container. Um, and that, which is what this presenter used um, as the analogy. 
um, and that. So when I first started doing this, I, I thought the big rocks were some fundamental movement pattern work, um, strength work, um, and that. So I'd actually build a session around giving kids that exposure to that. And then it was an aha moment last year. I had somewhere around about 60 kids and I was, I was standing at the front and I was going, come on, you kids, you're not listening at the back. And, and for want a better description, they were having a whale of a time having a social occasion down the back. And, um, and, and I was getting cranky and then I sort of went, oh, my God, these kids are here because they're having a great time being social. And I thought that's why they're turning up. And, you know what I mean? It's not because of my sports stuff. They're turning up because they're having a good time. So I actually went, you know, the big rocks are the fun stuff. It's the social stuff, the social interaction and that. Now, I don't program in five minutes of, like, get down the back and, <laughs> and chat. <laughs> um, but basically I do, I do provide that, that that's a key component to it and it's understanding that. Now, the trouble is in that particular session, I've got another group of people that think the big rock is doing their, their sprint work, you know what I mean? They don't want to talk. They just want the stopwatch and that. So, we, you know, it's, it's understanding why the different people are turning up. So I, now in the session, I have three groups of people um, and they got different, different focuses. I sort of manipulate them and that, and then, and you can move between the others, but you have to ask permission if you can move. And I say, well, these are the things, if you're going to move to that one where they've got the stopwatches timing, I need to see this as a demonstration um, of the, the attributes that's necessary to go into that that part of the program. <laughs> so, so what are the three different groups? You've got your social group, your like serious yeah. group. What's the thing? What uh, are they? Well, the, 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 yeah, there's the social group and the serious group. And the ones, the other group is the beginner group or the novice, the ones that are just coming in and haven't figured out which one they want to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they're, they're really cool sessions. They're, they're great fun. And, and when you, I don't know, I enjoy it now because I don't get hung up on, and this is another thing that I sort of try and talk to um, the other coaches that I work with. I go, don't get hung up on, on the kids having to be better in the next two weeks or, you know what I mean? We, we try and give coaching cues thinking, no, oh, man, they're going to get it. Because I said, when we actually have a look at myself, well, here I am 15 whatever years into the working with kids and I've had an aha moment, <laughs> you know, going, these kids aren't interested in my, <laughs> me and my, me and my knowledge and the rest of it. They're just here because they want to talk to one another. <laughs> so you those, you're talking about these urban kids that just want to socialize and hang out. Is it any different when you go to an indigenous community and how they engage with your program because I know you've done a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're fantastic kids to work with. I love working with the community kids. Generally speaking, they are more athletic than our urban kids. And, and I can have a game if I go back to my young group because it, it evolved. My, the way I do my sessions for the, let's say, the under nines, the, 
say the four-year-olds four to nine-year-olds, if I did, I, I'd work in a community and and I'd find that I could actually do the Fiji touch game, which is a four-on-four, three-on-three, um, 10, 10 passes without dropping the ball amongst yourself, sort of um, in a confined space and you get one point. And I, I can do that in an intergenerational um, context in a community, you know, because the kids are, um, let's say there's 30 kids in the school um, and, that, and they range from five to 15. Um, I, could, I could divide them up and, and the kids can play three on three, four on four. If I did that in Darwin, they can't. You know what I mean? There's one, there's not the underpinning skill to catch and pass. And then there's not the awareness of how to actually move in space. So I've looked and I go, how come these guys can do it and these guys can't? And the only reason is because these guys, when they're four, four and five, they're playing with their oldest, older siblings, uh, um, the cousins and, and the rest of it. They're all playing together. And that doesn't happen. We, we work in isolated um, age groups and that. So, um, so that made me shape, reshape it. And I go, it's, not, it's no different than any other skill or any other um, thing that we can do. Generally speaking, we develop as a result of the experiences of doing it. Like there's no one that actually turns up at the age of 16 and can play the piano that has never played the piano before. There's some that can actually have a good ear for music or whatever, but it's generally speaking because they've actually had that exposure to it before. Um, so these kids, the Aboriginal kids can, can play because they get exposed to playing at an early age and that. So what does it look like for them? Um, it looks like you've got to be very fast and and pick the point where the challenge is enough to engage, but it's not too much. So it's because um, no one likes looking silly, and you know what I mean. And 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 the community kids are probably right down that line. They don't want to look silly that they can't do something. And, um, and that, so it's funny because I was working, I, there's a side story on that. So you're talking about working with community kids. I don't want to get off track, but I sort of have to give some context to it. They can, they can move, you know what I mean? You don't have to sit there and go, oh, we'll do some fundamental movement skills here when half the kids can do backflips. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> they're, they're seven year old and they do a couple of cartwheels and then end in a round off and, and the rest of it. And they go, yeah, okay, then. Um, so, you know what I mean? They, they, they're full of beans that, and they play and, and the rest of it. Where, but they don't like being put on the spot and don't like doing demonstrations and the rest of it. So I had a game of um, Connect Four, you know, our Connect Four game. Yeah. And Real Life Connect Four, which is awesome. What was that? Real Life Connect Four, which is such an awesome game. Starting yeah, from yeah. a point run up to a grid of, you know, four by four, um, 16 yes. in total cones, and you've got to, like, connect four with the cones one person at a time, carrying a ball, putting it on the cone. For anyone that doesn't know, connect four. Yes. So I set up a game of connect four, and I went from having, um, I think I had around about 12, 12 boys. They were aged between 12 and 15. 
two, two. Like they all went and sat down. Like working with Aboriginal kids, they, they tell you straight away when, <laughs> when, whether you're getting it right or not because <laughs> they, don't, they don't hang around. Like, you come up with an idea and you go, okay, we're going to do this now, and they go, nah. <laughs> and they go and sit down. And that. So I went, I reckon if I play Connect Four, start with these two guys, um, they'll come back in. And that's exactly what they did. They actually all sat there. And then when they figured out what the game was, one jumped in and another one figured out what the game was. He jumped in. It took about five minutes and they were all back in <laughs> playing the game. So tell um, me about the um, Sharks and Turtles game and how that came about. Uh, the Sharks and Turtles game, like, it's, it sits up there with spiders and flies as a um, as one of the kids' favourites. So, like, especially with the my um, my organised sport program um, versus my school programs. Um, so, sharks and turtles came about by um, we're in Tennant Creek and Tennant Creek Primary working with the Year One class, and there are a couple of kids that were just running amok and. And you'd put some cones out and they'd run out and kick the cones away and, and things like that. And the teacher said, oh, do you mind if I take them for a bit? And I went, all yours, man. <laughs> um, and, and this is a graduate teacher too. So he's um, a fantastic young guy, Jackson, his name was. Um, and he played this game, Sharks and Turtles. And he, and he made, essentially, the sharks eat the turtles um, but the turtles can um, can stay away from the sharks by just going down and into their shell. So um, you turn from you, you have a class of twenty where they're running a mark to appointing two or three people to be sharks, and the other seventeen essentially come up and um, lay down on the floor in a turtle shell, and you, you've got instant <laughs> you've got instant compliance, like you settle the class down because they're all in their shell <laughs> and you get the, um, the kids that were running a mark to be the sharks. So they, they engage in, and that in the, in the game is, it, it was amazing. It transformed the class um, instantly because it brought the kids in. It gave them something. Um, it gave them something to do and, um, and be active in the game and have a purpose uh, and that it was really well done. And like I said, depends. I work with it a lot now because depend on what. If the teacher goes, if you want some chill out time, then you make it a fifteen second rule with the um, the kids in their shells because some of them don't get off the floor; they just stay in their shell <laughs> all, all the time. Um, otherwise, if you want an energetic game, you make it five seconds only in the shell, and they have to jump up and, and move around. So, yeah, sort of. So yeah. I was just going to say, seeing we're talking about teachers, how do teachers then, so you're talking about the big rocks that go into the jar first that got the most space being the game, like sharks and turtles, spiders and flies. And then the medium-sized rocks, I'm presuming, are like the sort of sport-specific skills and your fundamental um, movement skills and that kind of thing. Um, then, and I suppose the small rocks or the sand that then goes in is your social stuff, <laughs> am I correct? Um, yeah, it's working with the curriculum is a bit different. 
so um, I've, I've sort of, there's a couple of things. If, if we're trying, I go back and actually, here's my goal in, in working with schools and, and that is basically somewhere between, you know, when we, when we work with the transition kids and the year one kids, um, that they come out to play and, and they're all full of beans. Like, you know, 99% of the kids want to want to run around and want to play and play the games and, and the rest of it. By year two, there's probably 10% that are sort of, oh, no, I don't, don't like this. And then that percentage just gradually grows to somewhere around about 20% by the time you're in year six. And, and I sit there and I go, why? Why is that so? And if we actually go back to the principles around gaming is because they're not finding any sort of reason to be motivated in that area. You know what I mean? No one's showing them that they can do stuff. No one's sort of pointing out that they are get better, getting better at stuff and, and that sort of stuff. So then I go, okay, why is that? And without demeaning sports that go in and sort of do the majority of the um, exposure to sport, because they actually don't break the, the competencies up or break, break it down far enough. So you take everyone on that journey going back up. You know what I mean? So um, my first goal is can we actually just have a lot of fun at this stage, whatever it is, you know, year one, two, three, whatever. And um, can we have a lot of fun with the 40 minutes or an hour that you're going to be out with me? And then for that to happen, regardless of the, the social interaction, regardless of what we're trying to do cognitively or physically, um, if we can, because the kids learn from the adults that are running the program. So this is where you've got to put your game face on and, and play. So, um, and probably the best example of that is the Wiggles. You know what I mean? As in, I'm sure as anything, they do not <laughs> get them backstage and they'll be all, oh. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm convinced that basically I, I haven't met them. Um, but I'm convinced that basically, because I'm spent after a day at working at school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Um, physically and, and psychologically, I'm just spent um, because it takes so much energy to, to take them on a journey. You know what I mean? So they're going to learn by watching. So they watch the adults and, and basically the adults, um, uh, what do you call it, interpretation and the adults' attitudes to the physical activity. So if you've got, if you've got teachers that turn up with their running shoes on, you can have the rest of whatever you normally wear for your teaching um, hours, but put some running shoes on and be ready to play with the kids. Then the kids go on the journey with you. You know yeah. what I mean? Versus someone that's sort of checking their watch um, and that waiting for the 40 minutes or the hour to finish and go, right, I will. Thank you very much. That's really good. Um, and that, and let's go back to our stuff, which is, and I think, yeah, which is, I understand that it's, 
it's um, uh, what do you call it? The the pressures on teachers like must be enormous. Like it, like I said, I'm spent. <laughs> um, so I have nothing but admiration for them, and basically, and the school system is such that they basically got to jam so much in, and um, and that then sometimes the 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 sports when they're introduced, as in you know any sport when they engage with the 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 program that we have here in the Northern Territory and Australia is this sporting schools program. Um, yeah, they, they go, oh, man, like that's an hour out of my day um, and I've got to try and rescue the kids when they get back in the class rather than have them settled and, um, and ready to do some other type of work. So, um, so the big rocks there, it, it's, it's a little bit different. The big rocks are, for me, in the school setting, is is the behaviours and that that we we um, exhibit as as a practitioner and um, as a leader. So what I really like is while you've got your IPS business and it's all about physical competency and you've got your uh, pathway manager with triathlon. When you see your triathlon program, it doesn't look like triathlon. There's no um, well there is outside of school, but um, there's not a lot of you see you on the track and there's throwing and catching. So if we go through all that stuff, you know, you've got your throwing, catching, kicking, striking, running, jumping, hopping, leaping there, as well as your, you know, seven sort of foundational movements and all that kind of stuff, squatting, lunging, hinging, pushing, pulling, and um, bracing and rotating. All that is in there. And so, you know, people would say, well, what's throwing and catching got to do with triathlon? And that's what I like about your triathlon program is that it's a whole physical development program. And you said to me one time that if you go to a kid's sports training session, ultimately you shouldn't be able to tell what sport those kids are playing because it should be about developing holistically across all the skills. And I really like that. And that's what your program, when you see it at outside of school and in school, it very much looks like that. Yeah. Um, but if we go back and actually I have a look at my numbers, first of all, and go, yeah, I represent the sport of triathlon, um, and that's a contract a triathlon contract me in, and and I was quite blunt in the early years. I said, look, don't contract me if you don't want it to look like this, because I have a certain approach to it, and that I can give you a rationale for it. And the rationale is this: that the number of people that take up triathlon represent nationally. This is uh, Australia. Um, 0.07 of a percent. Okay, so that's how many people in the population um, take up take up triathlon. It's not too many. Okay, in the Northern Territory, it's 0.16. So that's cool. I can breathe easy. We're, <laughs> we're, we're twice as high as the national average. You know what I mean? So... Um, but if I look at triathlon, because I have an understanding, if I'm trying to develop, let's say a youth level athlete, someone around about 13 to 16 years of age, then I'd need that person to engage with me. This is as a triathlete. And I'd make a comparison here to a team sports person in a minute. I'd need that person to engage with me somewhere around about um, between six and eight sessions a week um, for 10 weeks a year. So my quick bit of maths on that is at, at eight sessions a week for, a, let's say, a 15, 16-year-old, 
um, time tens week, uh, 10 weeks, it's 80 times in a term, times four terms, is 320 sessions. When I was at rugby, the most engaged rugby kid, um, because we did work on a season basis, and, and given that the kids will actually probably flow into another sport in the off season, most engaged athlete would engage for somewhere around about 60, 60 to 70 times. That was their couple of training sessions, their game, and a couple of ancillary training sessions. Okay, so that's that's in in a, in two terms, not one, but two terms. And let's say they did that with another sport, so that's 120 sessions. So I'm requiring someone to actually at two and a half times that. And I'm not convinced that's a recipe for... <laughs> Um, a healthy life, you know what I mean? So, um, but I keep the stats anyway, because if there's someone out there that wants to, that's how their family life is structured and they, they can actually want to swim, cycle and run to that, to that length um, and that, then I need to know. So I track every person's attendance at every training session um, and that, and I know that the most engaged athlete um, does about 240 sessions in a year. Okay, so um, that's out of all 900 kids that engage with the program. One. So I go, okay, so if, if I haven't really got that many kids, one out of 900 that's aspiring to actually be a triathlete, then what am I going to do? So why don't I actually give everyone the chance to actually do whatever sport they want to do? They don't want to do touch football yet, or they don't want to play basketball yet. Um, and that they engaged with me because generally speaking, they don't have the hand-eye coordination skills. If they did and they had some physicality, they'd be playing rugby or they'd be playing AFL. They'd be playing basketball. They'd be playing netball. I get the ones that don't do those sports. So, and they don't do them, um, like I said, because they're missing those things. And generally speaking, they're only missing them because they haven't had exposure to it. So why don't I give them the exposure? So that's where it goes. So if it's the, the recipe in my, my sort of what I call my move program is 15 minutes of ball skills, 15 minutes of max velocity running skills, that's age appropriate, and then 15 minutes of games. Um, and then... If we're working with the um, older kids, it's the same same recipe, 15 minutes of ball skills, 15 minutes of running drills. We go around about 20 minutes of um, speed work and then, um, and then some sort of, and this is where it's contextually relevant for the different groups, um, what the, the strength sort of endurance part looks like. Sometimes it can look like a Spartan race at the end. It can look like relays. It can look like... Um, different games that we, we put in. Um, yeah. So that's sort so of. Are you trying to develop these children in like how much time do they need in order to get there? Because we've both read The Sports Gene. I've still got your book called The Sports Gene, which is all about the oh, team. You... <laughs> I, was, I was looking for that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it back. And um, <laughs> I haven't finished it yet, actually. But um, it's only taken me four years. I'm a slow reader. But... I 
in that book, I was learning about how it's not necessarily about the 10,000 hour rule. And so you, with, you love maths and you break everything down and go, this is how much time I need, you know, per day, per year in order to yeah. get this. How much, what are you ultimately trying to achieve with these kids and how much time do they need? So are you trying to, the kids that don't play basketball because they don't have the fundamental hand-eye coordination or the, um, or the basketball skills of dribbling, shooting, that kind of stuff. Uh, are you trying to get them to just simply enjoy sport? Uh, are you trying to get them to get to a point where they can join in competently? Because as we spoke about, confidence um, comes from, uh, confidence builds confidence. Um, yep. and, and, and vice versa, confidence builds confidence. And um, so then, like, what, what's the, where are you going with, with this? Um, it's, it's an active game. And basically, um, the, the more rounded the person gets with their skills, um, and I've watched this with the younger kids and the older kids, the better they feel about themselves. Okay, so um, the confidence that you can actually get from actually watching yourself get better at something um, transforms people. Um, I, I've seen just the little kids. Um, I had a five-year-old guy and I can't remember the, the problem but basically the eyes um, the muscle muscles in the eyes one one eye went that way and one tracked that way and and when he first came to the program he, he used to walk in he's have his head down um, and that because um, he just couldn't catch a ball and and that so I said to said to his mum can you can you just bring him to the session 15 minutes early um and that, so he, he, she did next week. And I just sat and said, oh, man, how was your day? So he came in, same same posture, down here, head down. And, and that, um, I said, oh, do you want to sit over there? I, I just want to talk to you, see how your day went. And that before we start the session. And, and I just started rolling the ball to him and got him to roll it back. And I said, you know, after we did that a couple of times, um, said now, okay, when you, when you catch the ball, I'm still going to ask you questions. When you catch the ball, I just need it to make a sound. You know what I mean? That, so just so you can, I didn't explain to him what I'm, what I'm trying to do, but basically just um, so it taps the ball. So coordination, tracking the ball in and the rest of it. So within about 10 minutes, we were standing up, bounce passing it, and then it, that was it. So, and then he joined in the session. In the next six weeks, he progressed to actually being able to catch the ball and the rest of it. So the first thing I learned, well, I'd, I'd learned it before then, but basically it showed me that basically regardless of the physical side of what, what's happening, the, the, the human body is so good that the software can program, reprogram. It just needs the experiences. You know, I just needed to teach him how to track the ball with whatever vision he had. Um, taking back to the starting point and watching the ball coming in at a slow speed so that um, the telescopic vision can adjust, you know what I mean, and let him develop the skill of the ball coming in and coordinating the hands come to, coming to the ball. And then, um, and then just gradually doing it and then having a visual and an audio side, side to it. So when you get it right, man, it's going to make it, you know, with your hands and it's, it's a nice crisp, catch um and then that gave him the audio cue when he was getting it right you know what i mean and we increased the speed of that just 
tracking it in one dimension, and that's on the ground. Once he once he was cool with that, then the next the next progression is to just get him to do bounce and catch himself, bounce and catch, and then bounce passes. Um, and that what happened to him as a person because he actually learned to catch the ball, he actually then would walk in. Now, this is over a couple of months. He'd walk in and he'd have his head up and he'd be going, how are you going, Tim? You should see what I did today. I did this and I did that. And he'd tell me about his day, you know what I mean? That how he developed the confidence in himself because it, it was no longer this, um, how do I put it, clumsy kid having to come to a sports session. You know what I mean? He could probably play in the schoolyard with his friends because he can now catch a ball um, and that. So th there's two two attributes, one catching a ball, throwing a ball and, and running. And and they can do enormous amount for people's confidence um, and that. So that's the overall um, journey. Right? So you've, you can talk. You talk yeah, you Go talked on. there about audio, so the sound of the ball. So sitting yeah. you know, with the legs apart like that, rolling the ball, one-dimensional on the one level, so you're not having to judge depth and height and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. And then progressing it through there and then building up. So you've got the audio feedback. Uh, you've then got the kinesthetic feedback of the touch, the feeling of the ball on the fingertips. But I know there's another one, visual, and you put dots on the balls. And so I know the answer, but do you want to explain why you how you came to putting the dots on the ball for the yeah visual. okay so here's a plug got no idea i've never met you before but david epstein <laughs> <laughs> um with the sports gene book um yeah he he talks about um uh elite level um baseball batters um and their their visual acuity and that but basically um they all sit they can they can see um it got very, very good vision. So, but the other thing is that they can also um, perceive um, what's, um, how the pitch is shaping up as to what type of ball. They get cues off that um, and that because the, the mechanics or the, um, the physics of a ball, sorry, a ball in flight. So they, they say this is straight out of his book, I'm pretty sure, and I may, may get a little bit strong. So um, apologies, but basically... He said, it, I think it takes 0.4 of a second. By the time, this is a fastball in baseball, by the time it leaves the pitcher's hand to the catcher receiving that ball is about 0.4 of a second. So I think 400 milliseconds. It takes, it takes about 0.26 of a second, 260 milliseconds, to recognise that that ball's in flight. Okay, so that... That leaves you with 150 milliseconds or 140 to, to blink, um, to, to respond. And a blink is, is that, is about 0.14 of a second. So he said, if the batters are waiting to actually recognise what's, what's happening in flight, they're too late, the ball's gone past them. They, there's not enough time to actually hit the ball. So he said, what happens is the, the really good batters are looking at the cues that they get from the pitcher. And this, this happens with tennis. This happens with uh, volleyball, most sports. Sports people are looking for body cues from the person passing a ball, throwing a ball, hitting a ball 
to to get a cue as to what it's going to what they're going to get. Um, and then the way that the stitching stitching spins on a baseball, if it's a fastball, it forms a red dot. And as soon as they see that red dot, it verifies that they've got a fastball and they know how to respond to that. Um, and that. So, so I went, wow. So how can't we, how come we're not teaching kids how to focus on something on the ball rather than at the ball? Because when the kids are looking at the ball, they're looking at everything around the ball as well. You know what I mean? So rather than looking like these guys, these, and, and I imagine the cricketers, because I haven't actually done the homework on this, the cricketers are looking for exactly the same thing. They're looking for how the stitching spins um, or whatever. So there's, they're looking for an IQ that's on the ball, not looking at the ball, but on it. Um, so I got all the, I normally take um, soccer balls to school um, for the kids to, to learn how to catch. All the soccer balls got a red dot or a blue dot, or I just call it an IQ. They all know that when we're catching, we're looking at or looking for the IQ that's on the ball. So there you go. That's how we got, got there. And I love how you got the two different E-Y-E-Q-U-E and IQ. I love it. And yeah. but this is about taking high performance and bringing it down to development. And this is what I refer to as high performance development. And that's exactly, that's that example there is the perfect well, example. Yeah. So the, it's probably the better term. And, and again, I probably got this off Michael Watkins is, is what is sporting excellence rather than high performance? Cause it's not, it's, but what does sporting excellence look like for a five-year-old? versus a six-year-old, seven, eight, and, and up. Um, and that's sort of the space that I sit in. Um, and that is what does sporting excellence look like for all of these kids? And then when you get to the youth stage um, and we've got teenagers, what does it look like then? So, um, you know, because I've had the experience of actually taking national level kids into, into World Cup racing and, and that in Europe. And I go... Uh, there's your accommodation is over there and mine is over there. Okay. So I don't, I don't cook for you. I don't look after you and that, and there is no, your parents are not part of the entourage here. So um, it's probably a little bit different than team sports where you, you have catering and the rest of it, but there's still, um, if you're, if you're in, in the bottom of the part of the funnel, you still have to actually be able to look after yourself from a personal hygiene and environmental hygiene um, point of view. So, um, and, and, and like I said, the mainstay of my, my youth program is personal hygiene um, and environmental hygiene. What does your toilets look like? What is your, um, your showers and your basins look like? Um, your bed space and that. So, um, and that's transferable, but that's that's what I but that's what I call they're the, they're the components of sporting excellence, um, but they're also components of excellence in going away to uni, yeah, and making sure that you you yeah in life and and that. so it's the same program. I'm really looking forward. We're going to come back and have, do another episode. Um, we've sort of <laughs> spoken about doing several. We could seriously talk for four hours. I, I know you and I. Um, yeah. And I, I really want to know about your Cessna story and why you came, how that plays into where you're at now, 
your story with taking the kids over to World Cup um, competitions, downhill mountain bike riding. I want to talk about uh, running properties. You talk, you, you love mass and you talk about the time that it takes to blink and a ball to travel. You also know every millisecond of how long it takes for a calf muscle to contract versus uh, what happens with the Achilles tendon. I want to talk about that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to coming back and, and having that conversation around those topics. Okay, well, that's, um, a, that's a good lead-in um, if we talk about because the Cessna story. The Cessna story, can I, because then we can actually um, come back. Yeah. Do you want to lead in with that? As in yep. the Cessna story comes from um, reading the story of um, the A380. I think it's Qantas Flight 4 that took off from Singapore and, um, and, and blew an engine. And um, so if you, if you want a precursor to, um, to that and read that story, it's a fantastic story of leadership and, um, uh, and captaincy by the, the, the captain of the plane. His name is Michael. I can't, can't remember his last name. Um, but fantastic story. How that came about, because it was a good analogy when I read it, because I was working as, as a national junior coach for Mountain Bike Australia. And, and I thought, wow, we've got to actually do some work. And um, what, the way I sort of talked to Chris at the time, he was the national coach. I said, we need to have an AIS camp. Invite anyone, anyone that's interested, that thinks they would like to be part of a national team to come into that camp at the AIS. Um, and that the only thing I wanted from each of those in their application was why? Why do you want to come to this camp? Because some of you are quite good athletes. And I got 50, 55 applications, I think, for the first year that we did it. And 53 of them said that they didn't have the right coach in their area, the terrain wasn't right, that no one had anything in their area that was going for them. And I went, how can that be? They come from all around Australia and no one has got the right area. No one's got the right coach. There was, a, there was something wrong in every place. The grass was greener somewhere else, not, not in our own backyard. So it's a combination of um, the story about the A380 and that of survival of that plane and, and the, all the passengers and the crew on board with working with what you do have rather than what you don't have leave it with that that's awesome and of course you're referring to i believe chris um chris clark is that correct yes yeah He's yeah also at the end at the ntis uh all right let's get into this 10 and 10 are you ready for it no oh, not really but no <laughs> so as you know i as i told you before we went started recording i've been taking notes as you've been talking on different things that you have spoken about and i'm going to ask you for the first thing that comes to mind, it can be anything. You can give me one word response. You can give me a longer response. Whatever comes to mind first, don't just let your mind go crazy and, um, and just give me something in response to what I say. It's generally going to be like words and statements. So you just know what you think. All right, you all good all right. for it? There we go. Okay, number one, boarding school. What was it like? Nothing like... Um... Nothing like portrayed what it's portrayed to be. Fantastic. Fantastic. Good. Yeah, I loved it. Number two is all I've got to hear is kids, but what I'm referring to is your kids and your nine kids. Tell me, first thing that comes to mind, nine kids. Ten seconds? Like that, they're, they're going to kill me, man, like one second each. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, <laughs> say their no, names one second. <laughs> they're all they're all fantastic. They're unbelievable kids. Really cool, and that's probably why I've got ten. So one was fantastic. Two is better. Three was better. Like they they're cool. So the last one's the favourite. Yeah, <laughs> no, oh, the last one's an issue. But anyway, <laughs> and she's only two. Um, oh yeah. wait, boys and girls, how many? Uh, five and four. Four, um, four, four girls, five boys. Yeah. Um, number three, movement dynamics, Kelvin Giles. Yeah, like all I can say most so far is boarding school, fantastic. Kids were fantastic, great resource. Like it is still my go-to resource. I'll let you go over the 10 seconds a little bit on this one if you like, but number four is the future of IPS. Future of IPS, um, uh, a renaming of a, um, a uh, how do I put it? I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but basically looking at um, an NGO type of um, running it as an NGO um, yeah. organisation. Oh, here. Are we getting a bit of a, um exclusive here? Yeah, yeah, you have. So just looking at it. So it's um, that way I can actually control, not not that I don't have a good relationship with, with Triathlon, fantastic, and, and we've actually done some fantastic work. Um, um, but there's, it constrains it. Um, so this is an exclusive. Basically, I want it to be available to everyone. And there's the perception that, oh, no, I don't do that sport. And that so we can that's in the next episode so there we go um, awesome so stay tuned for that one <laughs> number five the future of gamifying the sport industry oh man like uh, that's what i'm I, I look at all the time there is is that because the things games are essentially free that the end that that it market doesn't cost anything. You sit on the couch, you're comfortable in air conditioning and I've got to compete with that. So if I don't understand what is behind that and how to actually compete with it, you're not going to. So everyone goes, oh, it's, the world's changed. I know it freaking changed. So what are you going to do to change? Is that a bad thing though, that the world's changed? No, I mean, that's, that's how we are, who we are. That's why you sit in a nice um, office that you've got with flowers around you and the rest of it, you know. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if we wouldn't be doing this stuff if if we still lived in the space we were, you know, two thousand years ago. Yeah. That so we we are we enjoy the life that we've got because it does change. But I'm, but I'm just saying that if physical activity is going to be a part of life, and and in the in the, the sports industry whether it's organized sport or recreational activity it's going to have some sort of impact and you've got to actually understand what who our competitors are and and that, and everyone says i yeah pe people are addicted to this stuff okay well make your stuff addictive that's, that's all that, that's such a high performance mindset though oh, i think oh, i don't know I, that's just how i look at it i go um, if I'm going to compete with them, I'm, gloves off, let's go. As in, you know what I mean? That's so. But I have to actually understand what what the principles are that makes it that. And and some of it's like I get it, especially 
here in the top end, like, why am I going to leave my couch and it's air conditioned and that to go outside and get sweaty? Yeah. Um, I, I think for you to say, yeah, that's just the way I look at it. I think that's that you've been thinking this way for so long that it's just become a habit. That high performance type growth mindset uh, is just a habit for you. So it comes second nature. Yeah, but I, there's also, um, I'm a professional in the industry as well. And and my products are, are for sale. You know what I mean? So if I'm if I'm selling, if I'm working for an organization and their numbers are going backwards, <laughs> that's, that's not a good product that I'm yeah. selling, you know what I mean? Um, so there's there's some accountability from my perspective, and that doesn't always exist um, with a volunteer workforce in a sport, you know what I mean? It's oh well, you know, the, the parents are volunteers and they're just doing it. Whereas there's a direct correlation between my, my money and um and um and the performance that I have or the performance that I'm actually able to achieve. Yeah. Okay, number six, if you could only play one of these two games for the rest of your life with your programs, spiders and flies or sharks and turtles, which do you choose? Ah, uh, spiders and flies. Number seven, high performance development. Yeah, I, I, I just think of sporting, um, sporting excellence or excellence. It's because. It, yep. Sorry. Yeah, only because um, that that pathway starts at a at an early age, and even if you get it right for the majority of like um at the development period, you can have everything going for you, and it still doesn't it may not work because it, you didn't meet the right person that's going to give you the contract. You know what I mean? There's, there's sometimes stuff that just doesn't unfold um, and that. So anyway. Number eight, maths. Why maths? My maths. <laughs> why? Why, why maths? Why such a passion for maths? Like why is it in everything? Where did this come from? Because because people can't disputed like it's 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 definitive and and that so if i go there's 168 hours in a week people can't go oh no it's actually 167 and a bit they go no it's 168 you know what i mean as in it's this many um yeah so i I like it because it's it's pointed and it's defined cool number nine so in a very short sentence, or maybe even just one word, what does child development, what would development, physical development, all this stuff, what does it look like for the 99%? Looks like having the most amount of fun that you can have in the first 18 years of your life. Because life actually doesn't get easier as you get older, it gets harder. And I'd like kids to actually look back and go, wow, man, I had so much fun. I had so much fun in that space. And that's where I'm, um, like, I love triathlon. I actually, and that, but basically I'm not convinced that basically um, piling a heap of endurance training into young kids is actually going to have them have that perspective on life. So have the most amount of fun that you can have in 18 years of life. Such a great answer. And I'm really looking forward to this number 10 and how that kind of ties into this. So you don't know what this is. Uh, unless you have listened to another episode, which I know you haven't. Um, but 
if you could go forward in time or back in time, I want you to think abstractively here a little bit. Um, but if you could go forward in time or back in time, which would you choose and why? Oh. Um, I, I, I don't have an answer because I'm, I, I like, I like the space that I'm in because I, today every day is exciting because I'm trying to achieve something for the future. Um, and that the, back in time, I, I, I can't get anything back. So it, it's a, it's always a reflective. It's, it's useful from a reflection point of view. Shit, man. Like, yeah, there's thousands of things I could actually change if I went back in time. <laughs> no different than anyone else. Um, Cause I, I, you know, when I, when I was 22, I said, right, I know there's a couple of things. I'm never going to have children. <laughs> and, and I don't think I'm going to get married either. Um, yeah, so I've been wrong on both of those. And, and that, but I don't know. No, I, I, I can't say any of them because I actually, I, I love looking forward because looking forward and that makes things exciting, trying to build stuff for what's going to happen. Um, or looking forward to things that are happening and that. So that wasn't That's great. That was a good fence sitter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have had that before. I've had had the present. I'm just so content with where I'm at. So that is also an option to answer with that. <laughs> All right. Um, Tim, uh, this has been a pleasure. I want to acknowledge you for all of the work you do for kids, not just in our local city of Darwin and our um, territory of the Northern Territory, but also right around the country, Australia-wide. And I'm sure it'll end up becoming um, across the globe before too long. If it's not already, I'm sure it probably is. Um, but I acknowledge you for all the work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. Um, how can people connect with you and find out more about you and your programs? Uh, my best way is I'm not, because I spend so much time in the trenches, and this is not an excuse because I've been told I need to fix this up, but basically... Um, I don't don't do any of the social media stuff, but info at move um, will get me or directly at direct emails to IPS, IPSDarwin at gmail.com um, or info at move. Um, I don't know. What's that one? Is it dot, dot com dot au? Uh, I'm not sure. I think so. When you say info at move, you're referring to MOV3. Is that Yeah, MOV3. Sorry. Yes. Yep. Info yes. at mov3.com probably. But we'll link all yeah, that up in the right. show notes anyway once I've got it confirmed. Um, and I know that Triathlon um, definitely has an Insta a very um, good, Triathlon NT has a very good Instagram page. I don't know who's running that, but they just recently started following me and I followed back and um, they, yeah, that looks quite good, whoever's doing that. Yeah, okay. That's a little bit different to your stuff, but um, I, I get where you're coming from. You know, you're so busy working in the trenches doing stuff that you don't have time for it and you know i can see the argument like well, why do i need it if i'm so successful with what i'm already doing oh no i, I d depends if you're trying to get the exposure i do i like everyone that speaks to me about it they very good rationale for doing it the trouble trouble i get is okay do i actually do that to promote myself or um for example the, the stuff that i'm um, playing with at the moment is is around um, with the bike skills. So I, I love I love the um, what Park Run do. It's running. 
So you're familiar with Parkrun? Yeah. Yeah. Like Parkrun is so cool. Like I can go to Parkrun and and if I stay and have a chat and then um, walk home or whatever, by the time I've got home, I've got an email from them. You know, they said, congratulations, Tim, you did this, this, this and this. And guess what? You were third in your category or fourth in your category, whatever it was. And your percentage of the world champion is this and, and that somewhere in there, there's got to be something that actually makes me feel good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it, it's there instantly. It's, it, that's the game. You know what I mean? They've showed me that actually they've given me some bit of information that actually made me feel about good about going there. So even though I might have um, felt like, like the world was ending, <laughs> when I'm like everyone else does at 4.5 Ks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get home and here's this email that goes, wow, man, like here's, here's your result and wow, such a fantastic effort you've done. You yeah, know what I mean? I think, I think it is a great way to continue to gamify further the whole process. So you're talking about getting those results through email. So it might be that the, the kids that go through the program get like, well done on, you did the coolest kid in the world, you finished here, or this is your times today. And it's all relative specific to them and where they're at right now. This is where you sit and amongst everything, you then add in some social media stuff to that. I, I've really been playing around with social media stuff as a PE teacher. Um, so yes, I love the podcast, the Mind Your Body Show, and it's my passion project, and um, I really enjoy it. And I promote it on social media, particularly on my Instagram account at the Mind Your Body Show. And but I also, as a PE teacher, which is a, a career that I'm not willing to give up with just yet because I enjoy it too much. And I have students that follow, and it feels like it's an opportunity to continue to teach outside the classroom. And it's in a way because I'm sharing all these videos like the whole episodes like this and the little clips from it and then the instagram stories and the reels and the live ins all that it feels like a way to be able to continue to have that like constant touch um, with people and continue to make an impact and through doing that it that all brings me back to something you mentioned to me is that there's 168 hours in a week if we have a training session on a Tuesday and a Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., two hours each time, that's four hours, that leaves us with 164 hours in the week. What are you doing with that 164 hours? Now, with your maths, you would have broken all that down and said, this is how much hours of sleep you should be getting each night. Times that by seven, that leaves, that means you've got this amount of hours for sleep, blah, 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 break it all down. You've got, you know, 10 to 20 hours or whatever a week. What are you doing with that? And so having that, um, exposure through the social media accounts, particularly Instagram. I think Instagram at the moment is is the big dog. Like that's the one where you can just get really good engagement and interaction. Of course, there's TikTok and Facebook and Snapchat and all the other stuff as well, which you could get into. But pick one thing and just focus on that. Do it well and continue to have those points of um, connection outside of the actual time specific formal time of your of your sessions so i'm looking forward to seeing how ips grows their social media and their gamifying <laughs> process beyond the sessions yeah i had a really good chat with um um diola diola de brown yep do, do you know him uh no i don't no yeah yeah the, the basketballer um and that he and he loved the running stuff and and that he said, man, where's your, 
Where's your Twitter account? Where's your, <laughs> how do Is I get American? on? Yeah. 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 He said, nah, man, you got to get, get something. He, he hammered me. <laughs> I think, I think us Australians in general are a little bit behind on the social media stuff compared to the Americans. No, but I got but, it. But playing on the gaming stuff, um, cause playing on the gaming stuff and the, and the timing, because this is where I spend my time, is in when it comes dry season, the, the Wednesday athletics um, will finish with um, graded Spartan racing. So, you know, Spartan race? Yep, yep. Yeah, so, but, but it'll be a mini, a mini Spartan race um, and, and the kids will get their times. I want, want the kids to have access to their times. They'll get a personal profile um and that which then gives them meaning for doing their drill work doing their other running stuff and they watch their spartan race time descend so for those that are not familiar with it um it's just a term that i've picked up basically it's an obstacle course run um and and basically you've got to um do a range of activities from vaulting and and the rest of it as well as run um and they'll there'll be different distances for the different age age categories and and grades and and, and you can work your way through the grade system. So that's yeah. that's where I want to go with the sort of the park run equivalent to sort of or using that system and that that approach and the gaming stuff. So because then that that ties in with what are we the engagement that you get um, and that in the other part of the session plus does it inspire the family because I try to have families involved. Does it inspire the family to do other work outside of that session? Um, to get their Spartan race grade up. <laughs> yeah, it, it all sounds very exciting and I can't wait to see it. So definitely stay tuned to the mindyourbodyshow.com and our social media stuff, particularly Instagram at the Mind Your Body Show with underscores in between each word in order to, uh, as soon as I find out what your stuff is, I'll share it and make sure people know about it. Got it. All right, thanks, Tim. Got it, not a problem. Thanks for having me on, Jacob. Fantastic. Enjoyed it. Are you frustrated that no matter how much you try, no matter how good you plan to eat, no matter how much you intend to exercise, you just can't seem to stay on track with your health and fitness goals? Do you feel like your best of intentions to have more energy and feel better about yourself results in having even less energy and feeling down? What if there was something you were missing? What if eating healthy was actually enjoyable? What if you looked forward to exercise? What if moving more could actually be really easy? I've put together a free ebook just for you, detailing the strategies for having more energy and feeling better about yourself. And I want to give it to you absolutely free. To get instant access absolutely free, simply visit jacobandre.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-A-N-D-R-E-A-E.com.